If you read ahead to 2 Timothy chapter 3, where we are today, this past week, then you probably were reading and thought, well, this weekend's gonna be a bloodbath because this passage is for real. It does not pull punches. So I'm not gonna pull punches today. I don't have that within me, and this scripture doesn't let me, even if I wanted to. We're gonna talk real from this powerful word. But first, we gotta remember the tone of this letter. This is being written from Paul, a loving father, to who he considers a son in Timothy, a loving father. That's the tone of this letter. It feels kind of like when you read this, especially this chapter, it's like the dad who's pulled up to college with his son and he's about to send him to the world. He says, son, before you go in that dorm, we're gonna have a pep talk, take a knee. There's two types of students on this campus. There's those kids over there, they're doing marijuana, they're drinking, eating mushrooms. God knows what they're doing and it's gonna lead them to live in a van down by the river. <laughs> and then there's leaders, son. Leaders who make good choices. We're gonna go to class, make good decisions, have a positive impact on the community here. Set yourself up for success so one day you can have a positive impact on this world. That's who you're called to be, son. This is kind of like that pep talk from Paul to Timothy, this loving father who's dropping his kid off. Paul is in his last days. He's in a prison in Rome, basically a pit in the ground. And he knows he's gonna die soon. And with urgency, he wants to get these words. This is his last letter to this man, Timothy. He's passing a torch here. And I wanna read the very introduction to this whole letter back in chapter one. The first seven verses serve as the launching point into the rest of what Paul then says to Timothy. It starts like this, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son. Not coworker, son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I'm thinking about you, son. I'm praying for you. Recalling your tears, probably from the last time they saw each other and had to say goodbye. I long to see you <clears throat> so that I may be filled with joy. It would bring me so much joy to see you. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois <clears throat> and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Or some translations will say a sound mind. This is a loving father writing to who he considers a son. It's interesting when you read that introduction. He points to the faith legacy in Timothy's life, but there's no mention of Timothy's biological father. His mom and his grandma get the shout outs. But we don't hear anything about Timothy's dad. We know that Timothy's dad was Greek, and it's very likely he was involved in cult worship and Greek mythological things that were going on there. We don't know what their relationship looked like, but what we do know is he wasn't influential in Timothy's faith and Paul stepped in as his spiritual father. And man, is there a need for spiritual fathers in this world right now. We need spiritual fathers and mothers, people like Paul. What he's doing here is speaking identity. This is who you are. This is the spirit that's in you, my son. We gotta talk real about life and what you're headed into and what's coming. 
but it's gotta start from the foundation of you hearing from a loving father, man, this is what you've got in you. Not fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Fan that into flame, the Holy Spirit that's working in you, my son. I've had the chance to travel a good amount in 15 years of faith to different cultural contexts and see the church, and with that, to see a lot of the horrific things about this world and humanity. And I had somebody ask me a couple years ago, when you see all of the things you've seen, what do you attribute the mess of humanity to, the darkness of it? And the top answer for me is spiritual poverty. People who don't know the good news of Jesus. They don't know the freedom of Jesus. They don't know that the God who made them loves them enough to send his son here to die for them, to pay for their sin and rise from the grave to bring them into eternal life. But if I had to give a second answer, it would be a lack of fathers in this world. A lack of fathers stepping up to be fathers. Too many fathers who are not in the legacy of their kids' stories. It's why I shout out every dad that's here on Father's Day weekend at this church. Dads who bring their families to church. Men who serve in this church. Whenever I see a man who serves in Red Rocks kids, I say, hey, thank you so much. Some of the kids in there, they don't have dads. And some of them in there, maybe they have a dad, but their dad's not really present in their life or present in their faith. They need mentors. They need role models. They need people to look to as they grow in their faith. Thank you to the guys who lead groups in our church. I walked up to those tables last week to the few and proud guys who lead groups in this church. I said, thank you. Thank you for leading. Would you build leaders, please? Build those men, raise them up to lead in our church because we need it. You could see it in the lobby. We launched double the amount of women's groups that we did men's groups. And this is kind of the story of the church. And guys, I'm not trying to throw shade at you. I get it. We all have this deep insecurity. I don't have what it takes to lead. And a lot of you never had Paul in your life to go, no, you've got this. There's more in you. You've got a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. God has a calling and a purpose on your life. A lot of us never heard that. Maybe nobody ever told you that. And so I wanna challenge you. Ladies, I'll shout you out all day. Without women, there'd be no church. For all of us, but for the men of this church, read this letter as Timothy so one day you can be Paul. We should always approach scripture as the student to receive and grow, be sanctified, let God work in our lives. But how cool would it be if someday you're reading this letter going, man, I'm learning as a student, but also as the mentor of some people in my life, Paul has given me language and a charge and how I can encourage and speak to them and raise them up to be the next generation of leaders. I'm reading this letter from the perspective of I'm passing torches out to you guys to be set apart, to live and lead differently. So Paul speaks identity and purpose, calling to his son. And then verse eight starts with an important conjunction. If you remember Schoolhouse Rock. In light of your identity and calling, my son, all of these things that I'm telling you, reminding you of, okay, we've talked about that. So now we're gonna launch into all the things I need to tell you. You know who you are. You know the spirit that's in you. So we need to talk some business which launches into chapters one and two into three where there's some warnings. There's some reality check, talking about false teachers. Timothy was dealing in Ephesus in his church with people who were coming in and trying to counter the gospel and pull people away from the truth of Jesus. 
Heed this warning. And he starts painting this picture. This is what this chapter feels like. He's painting this contrast of the way of the world and the way of the kingdom. The way of the flesh, the way of the spirit. The way of man and the way of Jesus. There's two realities here. And you, my son, you're called to this one, to live set apart. So you gotta beware. This is not gonna be easy. And he starts talking to him, avoid godless chatter and quarreling. Talking about how people are operating and saying, don't play down to their level. Don't look like the rest of the world. There's nothing more frustrating in sports than when your team is the better team, but they play down to the level of the other team and get beat. Praise God, my Denver Nuggets did not do that and they are NBA champions. Don't play down to their level. You're called to something different, my son. So he starts painting this contrast, telling Timothy the way that he's called, and at the end of chapter two, he speaks to delayed adolescence, which is very common in our time. Everybody's Peter Pan, nobody wants to grow up. Apparently that was a problem back then too. Chapter two, verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He's going, hey, grow up. It's time to grow up. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. So apparently they had social media back then too. <laughs> and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. He's going, hey, you gotta grow up, man. Paul is not the cool dad, like Amy Poehler and Mean Girls, trying to be one of the kids. Paul is not the dad who's trying to become one of the boys. He's the dad who wants the boys to grow up and become men. And so he will talk pretty real with you as we're experiencing today. And he tells Timothy, here's why I'm calling you. Here's why you're called to live set apart because as you shine brightly for the kingdom of God with the truth of Jesus in you, you're going to help other people be set free from the trap that the devil currently has them in. You're called to set the captives free by the truth that's within you. Hopefully, the way you live your life that looks different, that you're set apart and it doesn't look like the way of the world, it will lead other people to repentance to the truth of Jesus so that they can be freed from the chains that the enemy has on them right now. And just so you know, Timothy, the way of the world is going to try to pull people into those chains, which leads into chapter three. So we're just gonna let it rip. We're gonna read the first nine verses and then we'll work back through them. Chapter three, verse one, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Can't tell you how excited I was when I knew I was preaching this chapter and started to read it and thought, oh great, first verse, awesome. It's my life verse now, so encouraging, gonna get a tattoo of it. There will be terrible times in the last days. Here's what humanity is gonna look like. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
Just as Janus and John Brace opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So, we start with verse one. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And when you say last days in church, all those people who are obsessed with the end times, their ears perk up like, call the shot. It's now, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Jesus made it clear that we won't know the day and the time. We don't know when he will return, but we do know that he will return. He is a keeper of his promises unto death. And he will return and he will restore this whole thing. This present age will pass away and he will make all things new. I heard a pastor explain, it's not as though we're approaching the end to be pushed off of it. It's that for 2,000 years, we've been in the last days walking along the edge and we will be pushed off of it when he returns. What we do know is that Jesus said he will return soon. And obviously, soon means something different when you live outside of time. But I think he said that word so that we would live like it with urgency, that it could be today, and that there's all kinds of people who are ensnared by the enemy that need to be set free. He will return. And Paul is pretty honest with Timothy, like, hey, it's, it's gonna be tough out there in these last days. Every Christian grandpa for 2,000 years has told their grandchild, maybe not in my lifetime, but definitely in your lifetime, he's coming back. We don't know when he will return, but he will, and we should live like it could be today. And be aware of the fact that the way of the world is gonna continue to grow darker because this present age is dying. And so as it dies, it's trying to take anything it can with it. The way of the world is dying. But in contrast to that way, the kingdom is called to shine brighter and brighter. The contrast should be more and more apparent of the present age that's dying away and the kingdom of God that is coming here. He then launches from that into what humanity will look like in these last days. Starting with, we're just gonna work through this list, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of self, here's a quote from Hybert. Lovers of self aptly heads the list since it is the essence of all sin and the root from which all other characteristics spring. The word is literally self-lovers and points to the fact, hear this, that the center of gravity of the natural man is self rather than God. So this heads the list because everything else on this list flows from being a lover of self, believing that you are the center of gravity. You read this list and you kind of go, this might be us. It sounds like it's describing us in a lot of ways. Studies are calling us the most self-absorbed generation in history, most self-absorbed culture that we've ever seen. I don't know if that's true. Nothing's new under the sun, but we certainly have a spotlight on it through the internet and social media now. We can see how much we as humans in the way of the world, we just are self-lovers. We consider ourselves the center of gravity. I've seen this word self everywhere. My true self, my higher self. I need to just focus on myself, take care of myself. And there's some good in that to be a healthy human being, but in our way of the world, we take that out of hand to make ourselves the one on the throne. I've seen people who tag us after sermons like, today was such a good reminder that I just need to focus on myself. I need to be devoted to myself. And I just go, 
I didn't say that. <laughs> what I said was you need to focus on Jesus. He's on the throne. And the good news for you is he loves you and wants to go to work in your life and walk with you. But you are not the center of gravity. We have adapted in so many ways to our phones, but they have also been adapted to us. As people behind apps and devices study us and go, oh, this is what they want. Yesterday morning, I just, to try it, I signed up for a fake Instagram account just to see, are there instructions that they give you of what you're supposed to do with the account? And they really don't. There's nothing on there that says, hey, from now on, just post pictures of yourself constantly and tell everyone every detail of your life and every opinion that you have. But subconsciously, that's just what we've all done. We looked at this app and go, oh, sweet, it's a bulletin board of me. Congratulations to the world. I have arrived. I've got a PR firm and a platform in my pocket, and now you get the beauty of knowing everything about me and seeing my face and my shirtless body every single day. Congratulations, everybody. In the early 2000s, Sony and then Apple started developing the front-facing camera on a phone. If you had an original iPhone, there was not a front-facing camera on it. You remember camera phones back in the day that were like they had just cameras in them, how a camera normally works, where you take a picture of literally anything other than yourself? <laughs> a normal camera is really hard to take a selfie with, right? It's like you're never going to get yourself right. You can't. So they started developing, and it wasn't until the iPhone 4 that the front-facing camera started happening. But the reason behind those guys wanting to introduce that was for video conferencing. Their actual first intention was how cool would it be if you could see the face of the other person when you talk to each other? And then they handed us the iPhone 4 and we were like, oh my gosh, I can take amazing pictures of myself. Look at me. Whoa, this is cool. Whoa, I look like a pirate now. This is awesome. And the selfie revolution began. Because in our human nature, the way of the world, we will just be lovers of ourselves. Which is why Jesus said, here's the law for you in following me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't hate yourself. Put yourself in the proper order and remember who God is and that he sits on the throne. But if you don't, you will be a lover of self. And then the current picks up and all of these other things will flow from it, starting with they will be lovers of money. I need more money for me to build my kingdom. This is why Jesus talked about money so much because it will so easily become God in your life if you are a lover of self. That's why at this church, we will constantly invite you to open your hands. And we'll tell you, you don't have to give here, but give somewhere. Open your hands. Steward what God has given you. And here's why. Because apparently, according to Jesus, who's never wrong, the root of all evil comes from the love of money. And I do not want that in your life. People will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, insubordinate, and churlish, right? Like, that should be in here, too. All of these things, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, this is all flowing from an enthronement of self where I will lift myself up and push other people down. You can see it on this list. People will be unholy. I don't wanna be set apart. Sometimes being a lover of Jesus calls you to deny yourself. He calls us to die to ourselves and we go, I don't wanna do that. That doesn't sound fun. I don't wanna be set apart and live a life of holiness and following what he tells me to do. I wanna do my thing, my way the way of the world. People will be without love, 
unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. That without love, from the Greek, it means without family love. People will put themselves before their families. I've watched this in the lives of some of my friends whose spouses have walked away. I have someone I love dearly in my life right now whose spouse is walking away after years of marriage. Just not happy, not getting everything I want from this. Putting themselves before their family and walking out of the marriage. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. We don't have self-control in our culture and I blame Amazon for that. We can, we can tack that one on Jeff, that's his fault. Because everything, we have instant gratification, we literally don't know how to say no. We don't accept that. We don't know how to wait. There are studies that will show your prefrontal cortex is weaker than past generations. Your ability to wait, be patient, say no to things, we can't, we're like children. And remember that Paul is calling Timothy, hey, it's time to grow up. You are called to be childlike in your faith, not childish, childlike. People will be brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The brutality, the rashness, treacherous human beings. I think the world used to see that on the world stage when it came to wars and dictators, and now we see it through soccer moms on social media. The things that people say to each other, the way that people treat each other, just brutal. On the road, the things we yell at other people, the signs that we show them, brutal. People will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Our culture is so hedonistic and so sexualized. We live in a world where there are literally people, millions of people, including children, who are sex slaves because humanity in the way of the world loves pleasure more than God. That's as dark as it gets. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. The message paraphrase says, allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion but behind the scenes they're animals. <laughs> People will act holy, spiritual, religious but not let God actually have the power in their life. They'll use faith for their own gain. And he says, have nothing to do with such people. I would say, unfollow them. Don't let them have the real estate in your life. And I would also say, have nothing to do with such things. It's easy to read this list and as Christians go, yeah, that really describes them out there. The way you should read this list is what of those things is within me? Because I want nothing to do with such things. Nothing. And he's warning of the influence of other people in your life. Have nothing to do with them because if everybody around you is going on the way of the world, you're probably gonna go with them. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So he's painted the picture of the reality and then he speaks specifically to Timothy on something that's going on right then that we can relate to. Verse six and seven, they are the kind, these folks are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, that sounds kind of sexist. Ladies, don't be offended. It's not how Paul means it. In this specific time where Timothy is living, there was a cult that was preying upon people and trying to pull them away from the truth into all of their stuff. And their main targets were women in their homes because at the time women couldn't be educated. So there was a lot of idle time and idle minds. And when you have an idle time and an idle mind, 
it's very easy to hear something else and go, maybe that's true. If you're uneducated, hard to think critically. All of us can relate to this today because we have a lot of idle time and idle minds where we are just scrolling and streaming and taking in so many things claiming to be truth. And what happens as you listen to them more and more and you let them into your mind as they creep into your household. And that's what was happening in Ephesus. And Paul's mad about it. They're preying upon these women. The message says this, these are the kind of people who smooth talk themselves into the homes of unstable and needy women and take advantage of them. Women who depressed by their sinfulness take up with every new religious fad that calls itself truth. People who are going, I, it's not working the way I'm doing things. My way's not working and so maybe this thing's the truth. Maybe this thing will work. And just grabbing at every new religious fad that they can. I was recently talking to a woman in our church who said, I've been here for a while, but I recently finally walked out away from the New Age movement. And it was well-meaning people, a lot of it, and a lot of it was good and sounded good, but the deeper I got into it, the darker it got and more confusing it was. And she said, I'm new to the Bible and I'm learning a lot, but it is so nice to have one source of truth. That is Jesus. Paul's warning him, man, there's people that are just moving from sandcastle to sandcastle and he's trying to tell them, don't let them go down with those sandcastles because they will always collapse. In our modern day, the stuff that used to be kind of behind the scenes, it's right out on the forefront. There's a witchcraft section in Barnes and Noble. Astrology and crystals and new age movement, so many things around us, mediums, psychics, witchcraft, tarot cards, all around us, and this is, heed this warning, that we will jump at every new religious fad that calls itself truth, but in the end, it's counterfeit. And he paints that picture through the next two verses. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected, but they will not get very far because, as in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So Janus and Jambres were the magician, sorcerer type guys that were working for Pharaoh in the story of the Exodus. And they were going head to head with Moses and Aaron who had come to set the Israelites free. They started trying to match the plagues that were happening in Egypt to show their power, trying to match God. And they did for a while until they couldn't. But stuff happened. They were conjuring stuff up. There's a story where Aaron throws his staff down. It becomes a snake, so they throw their staffs down, and they become snakes too. Aaron's eats theirs, but stuff happens. Listen to this. Just because something spiritual happens does not mean it's from God. It doesn't mean it's good, and we are ignorant of that in our culture. We think that anything spiritual must be from whatever is out there, whatever higher power, the universe, whatever it is. No, no, no just as Janice and John Brace. Do you know what their goal was? They wanted to match God and show their power so they could keep people in slavery. They wanted to keep people in chains. All these things were, there's an enemy of your soul behind them who wants nothing more than to keep you in chains. That was the goal. There's this beautiful transition that happens in verse 10. 
where Paul has just painted this ugly picture of humanity, what we're up against, what's out there, the way of the world. And then we get another conjunction, verse 10, you, however, this is the way of the world, you, however, you're set apart. This is not your way. There's a different way for you. Listen to the contrast of what we just read, all those things listed, when he starts speaking to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, the gospel, my way of life, following Jesus, my purpose, making disciples, pulling people from the trap of the enemy, the faith, patience, love, endurance. You know this stuff, Timothy. You've journeyed with me. Such an amazing contrast of the way of the world and the things that come in following Jesus. The real stuff we're looking for. The righteousness and love and joy and peace, the hope, the purpose that comes in following Jesus. And Timothy, you weren't just taught this, you caught this. This stuff is in you. This is in your core. I know it, fan it into flame. The work that the Spirit will do in and through you. He had said, follow me as I follow Jesus to Timothy. What you believe is gonna determine how you live. And if you're a lover of self, Timothy, you're gonna live like all those things I just listed. But if you're a lover of Jesus, the gospel, following him, the purpose of getting to set captives free, faith, patience, love, endurance. And Timothy, I'm not the cool dad. I love you enough to tell you it's tough. In a world that is dying, the present age that is passing Away, he says in verse 11, you know the persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me? And Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Timothy, you witnessed this stuff. People throwing rocks at me, trying to kill me, me getting kicked out of cities. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving by the enemy and then being deceived. They'll continue to be deceived by the enemy and deceive other people in the way of the world, this is just how it's gonna be. And that world is going to wanna stop what you're doing. You're gonna be persecuted. It's not gonna be easy to follow Jesus. As tempting as the way of the world is in a present age that is passing away, fueled by an enemy who wants to keep you in chains. You're in a battle. You can hear in Paul, almost like this nervous dad where he's like, man, you know this stuff, please stick to it. We think of Timothy as like, one of the legends of the faith, but he was a young man trying to navigate the world, trying to lead and dealing with all kinds of crazy stuff. Paul's going, here's the reality. And I, I think about Timothy and being a Christian in that time, and I wonder if we have an even tougher task in our comfort of our culture and country as Christians to truly be all in. Because in Timothy's age, like, you're not half in as a Christian. Because if you're all in, your life is on the line. But for us, I wonder if it's so easy for us to keep one foot in the way of the world, one foot in the way of Jesus because we're so insulated from persecution. And praise God that we can freely worship, but do we have to fight for our faith? So Paul has good news for Timothy. He has a secret weapon as he reminds him, this is your way. Verse 14, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. You know the journey we've been on. Spurgeon has some great commentary on this chapter. He says, Paul taught young Timothy the gospel himself. 
He made him not only hear his doctrine, but see his practice. He discipled him. Actually, Paul circumcised Timothy. Sorry to ruin your Father's Day weekend, but these guys knew each other. (laughs) It's another sermon for another day that Doug's gonna do a great job on. (laughs) We cannot force truth upon men, but we can make our own teaching clear and decided and make our lives consistent therewith. Listen to this. Truth, what you believe, and holiness, how you live, are the surest antidotes to error and unrighteousness. Truth and holiness sets you apart from the way of the world. Paul had taken Timothy into the trenches and he goes, and I know it's tough out there, so here's what you've gotta remember, verse 15. How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Spurgeon says his early training held him like an anchor and saved him from the dreadful drift of the age. So week one, Ryan had this analogy of surfing that he was surfing with some of our friends in California and he was getting frustrated because they were catching waves and he wasn't. And it wasn't until one of our friends said, hey, when you surf at this spot, you've gotta be lined up with that house right there because this is where the wave breaks. You've gotta be aligned because what you don't realize is the current of the ocean, much like the current of the world, drags you far away and you don't even realize it. I've been surfing sometimes at that spot and I've been like, how did I get over here? Oh, I gotta paddle all the way back up there. And I wish that there was a rope that I could grab that would just drag me back into alignment with that house. We may not have that in the ocean, but Paul is telling Timothy, you have that in your faith. You have the scriptures that will put you back into alignment with God. The truth, and it makes you wise, but he doesn't just say it will make you wise, and that's it. Knowledge puffs up. It will make you wise for salvation. This book tells the story of your salvation. It's the beautiful story of God who sent his son Jesus here to save you. It will make you wise for salvation. And Timothy, you've known this from infancy. You were raised in this. Your mom and your grandma, they raised you up in this. This is why at Red Rocks Church, we don't do childcare. We have services for our kids. So that from the age that they can start to hear the name Jesus, say the name Jesus, They will be raised up in the scriptures, knowing the truth of Jesus, being made wise for salvation. And parents, the reality is, you are the most important pastors in your kids' lives. But we're in this with you. Because it's intimidating, I know, as a dad. My son has questions, how has God always been? I'm like, I don't know. How the heck could I explain that? We don't have all the answers, but we do have the truth We have the story of Jesus. We can be made wise for salvation so we can make our children wise for salvation. My son this year on Easter, he's four years old and we talked about Jesus dying on the cross. Don't think your kids are too young for the gospel. They know their maker. He put eternity in their hearts. He can't understand the cross in the way that we can in this room yet, but he can understand it for where he needs to understand it today to know that Jesus laid his life down for him. And I want my son and I want your kids to grow up from infancy knowing the truth so they can easily spot the counterfeits when they go out into that world. And here's the beautiful thing about scripture. Last two verses. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's God-breathed. Spurgeon says this, if we are to have a church of God at all in the land, 
Scripture must be regarded as holy and to be had in reverence. This scripture was given by holy inspiration. It is not the result of dim myths and dubious traditions. Neither has it drifted down to us by survival of the fittest as one of the best human books. It must be given to our children and accepted by ourselves as the infallible revelation of the most holy God. Lay much stress upon this. Tell your children that the word of the Lord is a pure word as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Let their esteem for the book of God be carried to the highest point. Let it make them wise for salvation. And this is complicated. There's a lot to this. There's a lot of questions to be asked. There's parts you read and go, okay, God, well, I'd like to have a sit down about this chapter. And maybe you look at this as intimidating or I don't know if I could actually ever understand it. You can, if you let it be what it's supposed to be in your life. Maybe you're asking, what is the Bible? Can I trust the Bible? How do I read the Bible? If you're asking questions like that, I wanna point you back to last fall. We did a series called Word of God, three weeks answering those three questions. What is the Bible? Can I trust the Bible? And how do I read the Bible? To get you going and letting the Word of God do what it's supposed to do in your life. And Paul tells us the purpose of Scripture. It's for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, and equipping. If we're honest, I'm not sure that most of us want scripture to do any of those things in our lives. We mainly just go to it and want it to encourage us. And it does that. It's the greatest source of encouragement there is because it is the story of your God who loves you and saved you and has eternity for you, has made a way for you, forgiven you, loves you. No better encouragement than that. That just isn't on Paul's list. And maybe we'll accept some teaching. We'll listen to podcasts or sermons. We'll go to church and listen to the parts we like and leave the parts we don't. Convicting question. I've been convicted of myself and I'm a pastor. When was the last time that you opened up the word of God? But let's double down on that. When was the last time you opened up the word of God and said, hey God, if you need to rebuke something in my life today through your word, go ahead and do it. God, if you need to correct me, please do it. God, I'm going to the spiritual gym right now. Train me up in righteousness. Beat me up a little bit if I need to get beat up a little bit. Let's work out. Let's work the ways of the world out of me because I wanna have nothing to do with such things so that you can equip me for every good work that you have called me to. Because there is a calling and a purpose in your life far beyond the way of the world, but the way of the kingdom. Scripture is for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, and equipping. In college, I worked at California Pizza Kitchen as a server in the 29th Street Mall in Boulder, Colorado. It was an awesome job. I loved it. It was really fun. You meet people, you have interesting interactions, and funny stories to tell when you're a server. Servers in the room, you know this. One day, it was totally dead in the restaurant. Nobody was there, and then one family showed up. So I went out there. It was a mom, her mom, and her two kids. They sit down, bring them menus, give them the spiel, try to already upsell them on some appetizers and avocado and stuff like that. Take their drink order, go back to the kitchen, wait a few minutes, and then I come back to see if they want to order any food. So I say, hey, do you guys want to put any food in? And the mom goes, yeah, yeah, great. Let's start with the kids because they're really hungry. And they would both like to have nachos. And I looked at her, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. We don't, we don't have nachos here. And she kind of looks at me a little bit mad and she's like, well, they're pretty picky eaters. 
and nachos is kind of the thing that they want to eat. And I was like, well, as you see on the menu here, there's cheese pizza, pepperoni pizza, which is quite honestly just nachos in a different shape. Would they like that? And she goes, no, they don't like pizza. And I thought, why are you at California Pizza Kitchen right now? We made it abundantly easy for you. It's right there in the name. She kind of gets hostile. Well, I'm sure you've got chips and cheese in this restaurant. Can't you just make them some nachos? I'm sure your chef can do that. Melt some cheese on some chips. It's like, geez, Karen, I mean, chill out. I made that joke last night. This lady after service was like, my name is Karen. And I was like, I'm so sorry for the way my generation has made you into the epitome of this woman at this restaurant. Because of course she asked to talk to my manager. Of course she did. I held my tongue because Paul tells us not to be quarrelsome. So I just walked to the back to try to explain this to my manager. And what I thought in my head was, oh yeah, the menu is just a list of suggestions and ideas from our kitchen, but you do whatever you want. We'll make you anything. It's your world. We're all just living in it. And I think a lot of us approach scripture the way that that woman approaches menus at restaurants. Oh, this is just some suggestions and cool ideas from God, but you do you. Live your life the way you want, and if any of this is applicable or helpful, then just take that piece. This is the menu that will make you wise for salvation, that will lead you towards your Savior, to know Jesus not just a list of suggestions and ideas. This is the word of God. You could really sum this whole message up. We could have done this in 30 seconds. Paul goes, there's the way of the world that leads to destruction. There's the way of Jesus that leads to purpose and love and endurance and hope and patience and kingdom building. You're called to be set apart and live this one. Read your Bible. That's it. That's the message. And as you do, you'll experience those things and you will help set other people free from the trap of the enemy. This present age is passing away. We can see it. It is growing darker. The way of the world, it's right in front of us. May we be a church that grows brighter and brighter because we grow up. We decide to be spiritual fathers and mothers. That we read scripture like this as Timothy so we can grow up and become Paul and pass torches to lead people to go build the kingdom and feel the purpose and calling in their lives. Paul's got very few days left. He goes, we don't have time to mess around. There's people out there right now and the enemy's got them like this. Let's go set them free. I'll close with this quote. I love this quote. It's from the movie, The Dark Knight Rises. Bruce Wayne is having a conversation with Alfred. Spoiler alert, Bruce Wayne is Batman. <laughs> and in this conversation, Alfred is bringing to light some truth that Bruce does not want to accept. Doesn't want to hear it. And Alfred, who has been the Timothy in Bruce's life, who raised him, loves him, loves him enough to know that this truth is going to cost him, maybe their relationship, but loves him enough to say it. And in the conversation, he says this, maybe it's time we all stop trying to outsmart the truth and let the truth have its day. Maybe it's time we stop trying to outsmart the truth and let the truth have its day. Maybe it's time as followers of Jesus to let this thing actually teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us in righteousness and equip us. For some of you, 
today might be the day of salvation. You might go, I've never put my faith in Jesus. And through this brutal passage, somehow today, I hear God calling to me, his son or his daughter. It's time for me to let the truth have its day in my life, my day of salvation. So would you guys close your eyes for a second? If you are in this room and you hear that call today of your heavenly father who loves you and sent his son Jesus here, I just wanna invite you to put your hand in the air if you wanna receive salvation to let the truth have its day in your life. Got some hands around this room. If that's you, I just wanna pray and give you some words to pray and speak to your heavenly father, to Jesus who has set you free. So Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you died for me on the cross, paying the ransom for my sins to set me free, that you have called me from the way of the world and destruction into your kingdom. I believe that you rose from the grave with eternal life and today I accept it. I put my faith in you as my Lord and my Savior, the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand if you're able? And can we make some noise for some family of ours today who just put their faith in Jesus? Man, if that's you, you've got a family around you. We love you. You've got the gift of the word of God to help make you wise for salvation, to dive deeper into what Jesus has done for you. But to all of us as the church, may we be a church that grows brighter and brighter as the world grows darker. May we live set apart for the sake of so many people in our lives that need to be set free from the trap of the enemy. And it's not gonna be easy out there, but you're made for this. There's more in you. Sons and daughters, there is more in you. You have not been given a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. That's what's in you. Fan it into flame. Build this kingdom. Set people free. In Jesus' name, let's worship.